Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs. I am your host, Christy Haberman. I am glad you're here. Thanks for being a part of our community. A few disclaimers before we get started. I am a licensed therapist. However, this podcast is not to be considered mental health therapy or counseling. It is for entertainment purposes only and is not associated with my counseling practice, Christy Haberman Counseling Services. Thanks for showing up. Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs. This is your host, Christy Haberman. I've been absent the last few weeks. I've had a lot of changes in my life. One of those is is that I got promoted at work, which is making me have less time. The other is that I'm spending more time with my granddaughter. She's in gymnastics, and on the weekends, we've been having meets. So I was on my way to a gymnastics meet for my granddaughter, and I wanted to talk about an experience that I had that really triggered me. And I hope that it does not cause people like to not want to listen to me anymore, but it was a very real, very jarring experience for me. And it happened to be associated with a religious organization. But it's more about the person. I just want to emphasize this. It's more about the person than it is about the religious organization. So I was at a gas station and we were getting the gas and getting ready to go to the gymnastics meet. And this van pulled up and had the name of the church on the outside. And the guy got out and he was getting gas. So in Louisiana, the church was the simple church. And on this van, it was Connection Church, maybe. Anyway, it triggered me. My stomach dropped. And I immediately thought of a phone call that I had got from an associate pastor at the simple church out of Bossier. Louisiana. So Christopher had died in Louisiana. I've talked about this pretty extensively. Christopher died in Louisiana. He was 25 years old. He had found out that he had cancer. And like any person does when they have cancer is he was looking for meaning, trying to find comfort. And he had gone to this church a couple of times with his friends. And my understanding is this church is very insular, meaning they wanted the people from the church only to socialize with people from the church. They only wanted you to be involved with the pe- people from the church. And my understanding is he only went a couple of times. So he was diagnosed with cancer on his 25th birthday on May 27th, and he died on June 19th. At the most, he had to have gone to the church maybe one or two times in between his diagnosis and death. I don't know that he would have been interested much before that because like I said he was looking for meaning I'm sure and his friends had gone to that church too. So Christopher died. He died on a Sunday. He did not have a significant other, did not have a girlfriend. He did have a baby however and had some really, really good friends. It's a little unforgivable what the friends did, I will have to say. 
maybe it's youth. Maybe it's a selfishness of youth. I'm coming to understand that maybe that's just how people react when death is involved. But Tuesday morning. So Chris died on the 19th. 20, the 21st, on a Tuesday morning, I got a call. I don't remember the guy's name anymore. Now, keep in mind, he's calling the mother of a child that just died. And he wanted to know where Christopher was going to be buried. And I hadn't really decided right right then. I was getting a lot of pressure from his friends to have him buried in Louisiana. But the thing is, I mean, if you think about the bond that people have with their friends, it's momentary. It's not a lifetime. Like, I'm sure they would have gone to the grave in, um, the first few years, but after that, I don't know that it would have had much meaning. And I was in a panic state. My son had just died. I couldn't think straight. I was sobbing. I was not ready. Like I was literally putting my head into the sand, dragging my feet, kicking and screaming that no, he was not dead. I hadn't even, I hadn't even begun to process. I hadn't even begun to talk about it. I hadn't done anything. I knew that his body was at a funeral home in Bossier City and I wanted him home. But like I said, there was a lot of pressure to keep him there, especially with the baby. But the baby was dependent on the mom taking the baby to the cemetery And if they weren't together, there was no motivation for her to do that. None whatsoever. She would get married and she would move on and she'd have more children. And that's exactly what she did. Because that's the way of the life. She was going to keep on living. You know, at the time, I was just angry about that because everybody was going to go on living. His friends were going to go on living. You know, the girlfriend, the baby, everybody's going to go on living except for Christopher. And I felt my life had ended at the same time as Christopher's. My life as Christopher's mother had ended. So this man called me. me. Not sure how he got his phone number. And he introduced himself. And said that he was calling on the behalf of Christopher's friends. Now I feel myself getting angry as we talk about this. So bear with me as we talk about this. I'll try not to use flowery language or ugly language to describe how I'm feeling, but I was not prepared for how this conversation went. So he explained who he was, said he was the associate pastor. Kind of lucky for him, I don't remember his name anymore. I'm sure halfway through this conversation, I disassociated. And he explained why he was calling. He was sorry to hear that Christopher had died. You know, and Christopher had started going to their church. And that he hadn't gone there very long. But he knew his friends were really devastated. And his friends asked 
him to call to i.e. talk some sense into me and let Christopher be buried in Louisiana because, you know, they really cared about him. And the implicit message there was they cared about him more than I did. Oh, I was mad. And that um, it would be, you know, more beneficial for them to have him buried in Louisiana so they could visit him because South Dakota was too far away for him to visit. And holy cow, was I angry. And I said, well, I really hadn't decided what the plans were yet. You know, I was still working on, I mean, he had just died. Like I just, I was not prepared. I was trying to make funeral arrangements. I was trying to get my work situated so I didn't have to work. It was just an awful time. And I don't remember the whole context of the conversation, but I walked away feeling like he was trying to use the pressure of being an associate pastor to try to convince me to what to do what he thought was the right thing, which was the right thing was to bury him in Louisiana because me as his mother had no meaning. That was my interpretation. Now keep in mind that I was really sad and traumatized and that might contribute to my perception of this particular event, but I don't think so. I don't think so. And part of our struggle with burying Christopher was I didn't know any pastors. I didn't I didn't go to church. I wasn't raised that way, never really been involved. And you never realize the importance of that, I guess, until it comes time for someone to be buried because that's the norm, right? And a funeral home doesn't give you someone. So I was left with having no one. As this guy proceeded to kind of argue with me or to convince me that somehow the best option for Christopher would be to bury, be buried down there. I'm oppositional defiant. I always have been. My children are always, my children are oppositional defiant. We think for ourselves. We always have been. That's just how we are. It's in our DNA. So I asked him. I said, you know, we're really struggling with having someone bury Christopher. I understand he's important to you. I understand that he was important to the church that you are attending, could you come to South Dakota and bury him? You know, that man told me no. He was like, I can't do that. How could I do that? I have another job. You know, I'm just the associate pastor on the weekends. And it was like, huh. So Christopher was important enough for you to call me, to convince me that my child should be buried in Louisiana because his friends needed more access to him, not me as his mother. And maybe it's just because I wasn't part of the church that he thought that that was an okay premise. I am not sure. But Christopher was so important to him 
that he called me, tried to use the influence of his position to get him buried there. And then when I said, hey, I respect your position. I respect the fact that he went to your church. I respect all of that. But could you come to South Dakota and bury him? And he told me no. And I was so upset. Because it was clearly not Christopher that he was attached to that made him make that call. Because I believe if he was attached to Christopher, and if Christopher were that important in his church, he would have come to South Dakota and buried Christopher. It didn't happen. So I saw that white van, and I saw that guy standing there, and I just had this surge of anger. And I flashed back to this conversation and how mad I was, because I felt so unimportant. I was unimportant to this man. Like there was nothing else important. But his friends, that church and what they and what they wanted. And I'm not I'm not even sure that the church was involved beyond this guy just happened to be the associate pastor there. And I am not sure which friend it was that started this conversation. I really don't. Well, I guess I kind of do because after that, I had one of his friends call me and say that they were done with me. That's fine. Be done with me because I didn't do what you wanted. But Christopher needed to be here with his family, with the people that love him. And so I just can't imagine. So there I'm in the parking lot of Commons. Well, it wasn't common sense. It was a different gas station. But I was in this parking lot of of a gas station, looking at this man and feeling that like this surge of anger. You know, and I'm like, this trip is about my granddaughter. It's not about my grief, but I'm so angry. And I think part of it was is that there is a granddaughter. She's still in Louisiana. Her mom went on to have another relationship, more kids, and she don't know who Christopher is, which is fine. Like, the decision was made, it's good, it's fine. But it's 11 years later, and I'm still angry. But that's how grief is. That you can be going along, and you can be, I was excited, we were going on a road trip, We hadn't been anywhere for a while. I'd never been to where we were going. And it just got derailed by my grief. It was completely derailed. And so what happens with me is that conversation played in my head. And then I have to deal with these feelings that I don't really want to deal with. They just make me angry. I'm just like, ugh, no, (laughs) please, no. But there they are. And I think that's the hardest part of people that have never lost anyone. Is that they don't understand how innocent things can just trigger you. The guy was just getting gas. 
probably had some church activity to go to. He's just getting gas. I didn't even see his face. He was just getting gas. I mean, it's, and it's kind of totally unfair that his presence would make me so angry, but it did. And then I think about, you know, the guy that called me. It's probably not fair to his church that he tried to use the power of his church to do something that's probably not, not very ethical. Because I have a hard time believing that a pastor would say, hey, these kids over here, these um, young adults are, are, are more important than family, more important than, than his mother and his father and everybody else that was coming to South Dakota because Christopher had died. I just have a hard time believing that. If you're listening and you've had a similar experience, and it's why I do this podcast, because I believe we're more similar than we are different. And I, at first, thought I was the only one. I was the only one that the opposite sex parents or the parent that died didn't want to have anything to do with you anymore because your child died. Or that people would get angry with you and fight over their belongings because your child died. Or God forbid, fight about where you're going to bury him. And at a time that they're supposed to be supportive and they're supposed to be helpful, it wasn't. It wasn't at all. We had people break into my son's house, tell the landlord they had no friends, or he had no family, and start to pack up his stuff to put in their garage. It's like I had to threaten to call the cops for them to bring all the stuff back. And I thought it was just me. I've had, you know, relatives die in my family, but I thought it was a family thing. And then when Christopher died, that's the first child that's died in our family. So I had nothing to compare it to. And I'm like, wow. Now, 11 years past, I realize that happens a lot. And now that I work with grieving people, I realize it happens a lot. And so I realized over time Death makes people feel powerless. So they try to regain power again. One of the ways they do that is trying to hold on to things that remind them of the deceased person. I'm sure that Christopher's friends really cared about him. And I am really sure that they were devastated when he died. There is no doubt about that. In fact, I'm positive that they still miss him. That's not really my issue. My issue it was more that there was this person that tried to use the power of his position to get me to do something that he thought was more appropriate. And it's not. It very much minimized who I was as a mother, minimized our family, minimized everything. And so I often wonder if that's happened to other people, if the people that they turn to for support 
whether it be a religious organization, a spiritual organization, whatever it may be, if at the time of their child's death, if they turned away from them. And there are several instances that I can think of where their church might have done that. And the betrayal you feel of that. And one of the things that is very hard, I feel like, to do as a parent of a young adult, I never had the conversation with Christopher, even after he got diagnosed. And you know why? Because after he got diagnosed, he didn't want to talk to me anymore. My son was very private. He was, he wouldn't want to bother me. He was always very protective of his mother. And he wasn't ready to talk about it. And so he didn't. I never got a chance to ask him, where do you want to be buried, Chris? Who do you want to do your funeral? What religious person do you want to have speak on your behalf? We found somebody that, and I don't know why, you know, the nursing or the funeral home insisted on having a pastor of some kind we would have been just fine without one but i ended up getting a guy who talked about himself the whole time and didn't talk about christopher and didn't talk about what a great man he was and the things that he brought to the world i mean i just didn't have that conversation with christopher Nor did I have the conversation with Christopher that if you get sick and go to the hospital, let us know. Because, you know, your kids are just out there and they're living their lives and, and that's the way that it's supposed to be. But what happens when they get sick and they don't come home? So much is left unsaid. So one of the deals I have with my younger son is if you go to the hospital, please let me know. I don't care what it's for. Because there's always a chance you won't come home. Now, keep in mind, I said I had oppositional defiant children. So he tells me after the fact, after he's home. I just hope when it's something serious that he remembers my words and he tells me. And he has a spouse now. And I realized that my decision-making abilities, if he were to pass away, would be hers. But I respect that because I know she loves him. One of the things I want to encourage you to talk to your children about, your still-living children, because it can change in a moment. What do they want their funeral to look like? Where do they want to be buried? My husband and I have had this conversation. He refuses to answer me, but I keep asking. It's like, where do you want to be buried? And then I think, well, I want to be buried next to Christopher. Well, that's not possible. And then I'd have to be um, cremated, and that just scares the crap out of me because I'm afraid that I'd still be alive. Crazy thoughts. Crazy thoughts. That's what grief does to you. Gives you crazy thoughts. My husband's just like, ah, I don't care. Colin's like, I ain't talking about this, but it's important. It's important to talk about it. So if you still have living children, talk to them about it. What do you want it to look like? Who do you want to be there? 
Do you have religious affiliations I don't know about? That way you can have intelligent conversations with people. Because his friends were telling me that they knew him best and that he was involved in that. I just didn't believe it. He would have told me. Christopher is very private. Any things if his friends didn't know. And it wasn't my place to tell him. So I guess what I'm trying to say is have the conversations about death with your still living people. Because it wasn't fair, I feel like, that Christopher died and I didn't know what he wanted. I really didn't. I had no experience in planning a funeral. No one had really died in my family. My grandparents, but I showed up for the funeral. I knew they were old apostolical Lutheran. I didn't know what that meant. The only black I had was black shorts, and I showed up to a very traditional church in shorts, and I, I felt like I was just standing out. I didn't feel welcome. I didn't know that about them until at the funeral, and then at the funeral they were saying because he had left the church, which is old apostolical Lutheran, that he wasn't going to heaven. That wasn't a good thing to hear at the funeral either. So have conversations with the still living about what they want. So you don't end up like I did with conversation from a stranger at a time when you needed support defending your decision to bring your child home. I 100% had to de defend my position to bring my child home. And it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair that he called me. It wasn't fair that his friends were pressuring me. None of it was fair. In the end, Christopher came home. He was buried here. There was someone that did the funeral for us, but talked about himself and not Christopher, so it was a little bit of a disappointment. And I've never regretted it and never looked back. And as I expected and predicted, his friends have all moved on. They continued living. There was one that was reached out and was coming up here to see Christopher at the graveyard. That's when COVID hit, though, in 2020. So I don't know if he ever made it. But they know where he is. They know where to find him. They travel all over the country. If they want to see him, they know where to find him. So this is Christy Haberman signing off for this week. The irony is not lost on me that it's Valentine's Day and I'm talking about death. But that's how it is when you're grieving. Thanks for listening. I'll try to do weekly podcast. Like I said, I have a new, have a new job that takes up all of my time. I'll be done with that in May, and then I'll be back to a regular schedule. Thanks for hanging in with me.